It's shocking to me how important work is and yet how broken finding the right job can be. Everyone's had a bad experience. Trawling through irrelevant job ads, not knowing the salary, applying and then never hearing back. And for managers, wading through irrelevant applications or sending hundreds of LinkedIn emails, hoping for a response. But it doesn't have to be this way. Otter matches the right people with the right jobs at all the most exciting companies. It was founded to make finding a great job less soul-crushing. I use Otter when I'm hiring at Heights, and honestly, I love it. Candidates simply answer a few questions about what they're looking for, and Otter serves up only relevant jobs that match their skills and preferences. This smart matching means companies receive more relevant applications, helping them find the very best people much faster than before. So, if you're looking for the right job, or you'd like to hire smarter, check out otter.com forward slash secret leaders. That's O-T-T-A dot com forward slash secret leaders. Quote, Brett is diabolically bad at managing teach first. Another one, Brett does not motivate staff. Brett micromanages and drives me potty. I really wish Brett would stop talking to me. I don't know what Brett does. I never see him around with someone else, exact opposite. My image of Brett is that he is a cancer on what could be a great organization. Does he realize how much damage he's causing? That's Brett Wigdorts, the co-founder of Teach First. The company has gone on to be a massive success, but it was so close to imploding because of how he operated in the early days. He failed in a way that's extremely common with first-time founders and is often fatal. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we hardly ever hear about failure, despite it being by far the most common outcome for startups. Plus, it's the best teacher. Even though his employees couldn't see it, Brett had all the right intentions because, as a consultant, he'd seen how the UK education system was failing miserably. So looking at the schools, one of the things we realized is there's a massive shortage of good talent in the schools. And um, even though there were amazing teachers in every school and there's always fantastic teachers, um, most schools in the lowest income areas weren't attracting the best talent and weren't attracting enough people. And one head teacher, I remember, said to me, look, if all the Australians decide to go home tomorrow, we'd have to shut down half the schools in London. Um, And I remember visiting other schools where, um, you know, the children would be very much out of control. And I'd talk to, you know, a senior leader in the school who would say, look, our goals for the school are to keep these children out of jail or off the street. And I would just think, God, you're not even probably doing a good job of that. And um, it was just very sad. And you just felt these children, young people, young adults weren't getting the education they needed to be successful in life. Armed with a confidence and naivety, which is the hallmark of both successful founders as well as those who fail, Brett attacked the problem. He decided to take a leave of absence from his consulting job. He had an idea for attracting the best people to teach. But, of course, he had no idea what he was doing. During the time I took my leave of absence, we had tons of problems. And um, one of the biggest issues was I managed to write a business plan. I got some people behind it. I managed to get a meeting with the Minister of Schools at the time in 2002. And it was a very exciting meeting. I brought five or six people with me who I thought would support it. We sat down with the minister. I thought, you know, this is going to be a great meeting. We needed the minister to approve Teach First as a new way to train teachers. And we wanted them to pay for the teacher training aspect of the work we were doing, which was uh, what we were expecting. And we expected him to approve it at this meeting. 
We sat down at the meeting. There were six of us on one side of the table. He was on the other side, uh, flanked by all these civil servants. And he said, uh, Brett, you know, thanks so much for coming. What an interesting idea. Really exciting. Um, of course, it's not going to happen there. There's no way we could support it. But thanks so much for your time. And basically, he then wanted the meeting to end as soon as possible. And I don't think I've ever left a meeting quite as dejected as that. Um, really depressed. I remember like just walking. It was, I w- was about a 30-minute walk to my house. from. Part. I didn't want to take the tube. I just wanted to walk. And I was just so depressed the whole way home. And I thought that was the end of everything. Downhearted, Brett spoke to a mentor who asked him a question all founders should think about when you're up against it. You have to decide if what's ahead of you is a cliff or a valley. A cliff means the end. You're dead. A valley, well, you have to navigate from one valley to the next if you're going to make it as an entrepreneur. Brett decided this time he was looking at a valley. Several months later, he managed to get the minister on board. They got motoring. They had 20 staff. He was working seven days a week. But Brett was failing. And he didn't even know it. I think it could have ended Teach First. It, you know, uh, we were very, very close to all the staff leaving. You know, and they told me afterwards, a number of them, that, you know, they were pretty miserable. And, um, you know, most of them were in their 20s. And um, at the time, you know, it was a very good job market. People could have left easily. And, you know, I don't know what would have happened. I think, you know, Teach First that first year was on such a nice edge. There was so many times it could have failed. So what was going wrong? Why were staff about to abandon ship? Well, a small moment turned into a big moment that would change the course of Teach First, the lives of its employees, and its thousands of future teachers and students. One of Brett's mentors told him to get 360 feedback from his staff. I I asked my um, mentor to read the results in front of me um, so I could respond in real time with all the staff around me. And um, I, I hadn't seen them before. So this was a massive mistake. I definitely would not recommend this to anyone. You should definitely look at the feedback before you see it first time in front of all, all the staff who have given it. And there were about 20 of them there. They sat in a semicircle in front of me. And these are some of the things he read. He read, uh, quote, Brett is diabolically bad at managing teach first. Another one, Brett does not motivate staff. Brett micromanages and drives me potty. I really wish Brett would stop talking to me. I don't know what Brett does. I never see him around with someone else, exact opposite. And uh, probably the worst feedback anyone could get. My image of Brett is that he is a cancer on what could be a great organization. Does he realize how much damage he's causing? Wow, that's not easy to hear. Brett was obviously shocked, but fortunately, he'd been a football referee, so he was used to getting stick. He said it gave him a thick skin. I've always wondered why anyone would want to be a ref, so maybe this is the best use case yet. The thing is, though, managing people is hard. And it's even harder when you're a first-time manager and first-time founder like Brett was. What did he learn that we can use to become better managers and leaders ourselves? How important it is to align people behind a common vision. So everyone, you know, is so much more powerful if they know what they're trying to achieve and what they're working towards. So I think that um, that was the first thing I, I just failed to do. I assumed people would get it through osmosis as opposed to actually sitting down and really helping everyone understand it and working together on it. I think the second is the importance of values and really clear values and, you know, being really clear um, how we all want to operate together and how people should give feedback and ensuring that that was very clear. I think the third thing is, you know, really ensuring that, you know, you spend enough time on, on managing others, on chatting to people, on um, really helping people be the best um, that they can be and, and achieve as much as they can. And, and then obviously you multiply 
your own power so much more. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is not an individual sport. It's definitely a team sport. And um, I think early on, I'd worked so hard on my own. When you start getting other team members, you forget that it's a team sport, you know, and, and I think making that transition is really important really quick. Um, and I think, um, you know, the other lesson I've had is just having a thick skin, you know, and it's always hard. Um, and I think this is a great lesson for being a football referee too, is, you know, sometimes feedback can be true and you have to know when to separate out when you want to listen to things to when you want to ignore things. Because if you listen to every piece of feedback, um, you'll drive yourself crazy and you won't be able to do a good job. You'll constantly be second guessing yourselves. On the other hand, you know, we all know these awful leaders and bosses who don't listen to feedback at all and um, go down a path. And often some of the worst failures of any companies are people who have done that. So I think getting that balance right is probably the most difficult job of any leader. Okay, makes sense. But some of that is a bit abstract. What's the really practical stuff that helped him manage better because it evidently worked for him and the huge success Teach First is today? It was getting really good coaches. I had a few really good coaches and mentors. I feel that always works for me, like asking advice. I probably asked a number of people for really good advice and tried to use it. I got other people to manage for me. I managed less people. You know, I realized that's probably not my top skill. Um, and so, you know, get other people to do some of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, just working on it over time, I think, I think it was something. And, you know, kind of taking a step back and realizing that this was a problem. Um, I mean, to, to the point about self-confidence, I think any entrepreneur needs an insane amount of self-confidence. Um, and you think like the best entrepreneurs are some of the most successful ones. I mean, they just have, you know, you think of some of the crazy ones. I mean, they just have this sort of weird self-confidence that doesn't make any sense from the outside. And you don't often hear about the ones who fail because, because they fail. But like, at least with the most successful ones, if you don't have that insane self-confidence, it's hard to be an entrepreneur because, you know, you're creating something new. Like if anyone could do it, it would have been done before, right? So you have to have some sort of weird preternatural self-confidence that you believe you're the only one who can do this, um, which makes no logical sense in order to be an entrepreneur. So I think entrepreneurs probably at some stage isn't for people who are, you know, shrinking violets. Confidence is a fickle mistress as an entrepreneur, necessary, but also dangerous. That was Brett Wigdortz, the founder of Teach First, on how the company nearly collapsed because of his failings as a leader. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. If you like this episode, hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. See you next time. Hold up. Before you go, I want to play you a clip of the new true crime show we've just released. Hope you enjoy. In a country run by billionaires and triads, one gangster decides to go it alone. To have a guy like that with bombs and AK-47s and putting billionaires' sons in boxes is, is scary. And his actions provoke a geopolitical crisis that leaves Hong Kong in pieces. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, this is Bad Money. Season 1, Big Spender. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.